Welcome to the G3 Podcast, a weekly podcast focused on the Christian life where we examine doctrinal and cultural issues that impact God's church. My name is Josh Bice, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy Voilo. Well, good afternoon, Jeremy. Thanks for joining us today. If you're listening to the G3 Podcast, we're going to talk today about the subject of worship. And as we consider worship, it's critically important that we understand the centrality of the local church as we engage in the weekly worship of God and as we uh, as we engage in the ordinary means of grace. And so as we begin today, Jeremy, how are things over in Los Angeles? Yeah, going very well. Um, just got back in town last night from Orlando, Florida. I was at the Reformation Bible College and Lake Anir with my wife and daughter. It was a it was a good time, but but glad to be back in on the the West Coast. Yeah, so I think that the big hopes of everyone over at Reformation Bible College was that you were going to be able to help them finally pull out a win for the faculty in the soccer game. So why don't you go ahead and give us an update? I know. Well, um, unfortunately, uh, Dr. Stephen Nichols' hopes were dashed upon the rocks of my lack of physical fitness, I think. Uh, it was it, that combined with the humidity. Um, we did we did tie the students. We, we tied 2-2. I scored in the last minute to get the tie, which was fun, but then we lost in penalty kicks. So it um, didn't no, go exactly no, no, how he yeah. planned. Yeah. So hang on a second now. So exactly what position did you play when you were a professional? Well, I was a goalkeeper when I was a pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in exactly what position were you playing in this game? Well, I was midfield slash striker. So, oh, so you've you got a playing keeper. No, I wasn't playing keeper, but in the penalties I was. So to be fair, Josh, I saved two penalties. And so um, I think, you know, you kind of need your other teammates to pull up the slack a bit, don't you? Uh, okay. All right. Well, if that's, if that's your excuse, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm deflecting. I, I, yeah, I failed. I failed, uh, the, the faculty, but there's always next year. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, tell us, Jeremy, uh, a little bit about worship as far as your context. So you were serving as a pastor and now you've transitioned with your family over to Los Angeles. So talk to us a bit about the transition and how weekly worship looks for your family as opposed to how it was in previous days before the transition. Yeah, so pastoring obviously week in and week out as as the preacher, uh you're you're primarily the worship leader in the service. Um and so it definitely was a different feel as as I was preparing for the services and preaching to now being in the pew. Uh, but for my wife and I, it's a special time where we can sit in church together and sit under godly men. Uh, I mean, Pastor John MacArthur is our pastor here, so hearing him week in and week out is special. So it's a transition, but it's a good season of of just sitting under the preaching of the word and not being the one doing all of the preaching. Um, but hopefully it's a season that equips me for... Uh, eventually pastoring again and and leading uh, another congregation in worship but it's it's been wonderful being here in southern california where actually our guest today phil johnson is um and just being a part of the body here has been very special mm, yeah well very good well we do have a wonderful treat for everyone today is we're going to be joined by uh, phil johnson who serves as the executive director of grace to you He's been closely associated with Dr. John MacArthur's ministry since 1981, and he 
edits most of Pastor MacArthur's books, at least his major books. And um, he's also founded several popular websites, including the Spurgeon Archive, the Hall of Church History, and the Pyromaniacs blog. So uh, joining us today is Phil Johnson. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, as we think about worship, this upcoming G3 conference, Phil's going to be on the subject of worship as the main theme. And as we talk about worship, uh, as we think about the the nuts and bolts of worship, what would you say is one of the most discouraging things that you see in the evangelical world today as it pertains to the subject of worship? Uh, I would say it's that it seems to me that so much of the worship you see in, in, in high-profile churches even, uh, the most popular things that are going on in, in the church under the name of worship seem to be tailored for the pleasure of the audience rather than for the honor and glory of God. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a bit about grace to you. So what does an average day uh, at the office of grace to you look like for yourself? Uh, there's no such thing as an average day for me. Uh, I uh, I live from deadline to deadline. It's still one of my major responsibilities to uh, edit most of what goes into print written by John MacArthur. Uh, and so there's this incessant flow of deadlines that more or less governs my life. If it's a looming book deadline, I might actually uh, vacate the office and work someplace in secret for a few weeks I get the project finished. Um, and fortunately, there's a, a large staff of very gifted people, very committed people here at Grace to You that keep the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts uh, issues in the ministry running. And, uh, and I, I trust my staff and um, give them guidance only at the, at the highest level. Uh, the decisions I make are limited to matters of ministry philosophy and things like that, the big picture stuff. And then uh, I, I let the staff do what they're appointed to do, and, and they do an excellent job at it. So it frees me up to do the editing, a little bit of travel, uh, speaking, things like that. Take us back in time and explain to us, how did you meet John MacArthur, and how did you come to work under John MacArthur through Grace to You and within the local church context? Right. Well, my background was publishing. I worked at Moody Press. And um, the first time I ever heard of John MacArthur, he came to speak there. And I honestly didn't even intend to go and hear him. He was speaking in a student chapel. Uh, but I went because it was an opportunity to take an hour off and sit with the girl I was dating at the time, who happens now to be my wife. And uh, she's the one who talked me into going to hear him. And from the time he began to preach, I thought, this is something extraordinary. I have never heard anyone preach the way this man preaches. And uh, it, it was it was just so thoroughly biblical and so rich in content. My One of my first thoughts was, he, he needs to be an author. He needs to be writing books, because my background was publishing. And I, I, uh, I thought, I wish there was a way I could, uh, you know, work alongside him. And then uh, I married Darlene, and she and I moved to Florida, where I worked as an assistant pastor for three years. And during that three-year period where I was in, in pastoral ministry, uh, Grace to You began its original broadcasts on the radio, and I was living in the Tampa Bay area, and that was one of the first 
uh, cities in the country that carried grace to you. I began to listen to John every day. And in fact, I, uh, I really organized my day around the grace to you broadcast. And, and again, every time I heard him speak, I thought this is such extraordinary content. So much of it needs to be in print. I would always think, I wish I could help him and, uh, you know, edit books for him or whatever. And it was Moody Press who put us together. I never made that suggestion to anyone. I never pursued it or tried to manipulate anything. But uh, Jerry Jenkins, who was uh, in charge of Moody Press at the time, called me up one day and said, uh, we're planning to do this massive commentary series with John MacArthur, and we're looking for freelance editors to work on it. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, I would. Uh, so I flew to Chicago and uh, to to join that meeting, it was the first meeting between John MacArthur and the Moody Press editorial staff to discuss the potential of the MacArthur New Testament commentaries. That was the day I met him. And I sat through the meeting, didn't say much, uh, just listened and sort of was in awe of John's insights, just even when he talked in a meeting like that, it seemed like he, he, there were no wasted words and he'd thought everything carefully through. And uh, after the meeting, I, I went to him and said, you know, I listen to you every day on the radio and you need to do a book on the lordship issue. And those are my first words to him. <laughs> and he said, he said, I intend to, I even have a title in mind, the gospel according to Jesus. And uh, Moody was at the same time, um, were trying to recruit me to be their acquisitions editor. And he knew that because he was on the board at Moody Bible Institute at the time. And he said, look, if Moody hires you as their acquisitions editor, you give me a call because he said, nobody else in Christian publishing has ever shown any interest in a book on the Lordship issue. And I really would like to do that. So I took the job as acquisitions editor. And uh, the first thing I did my first day on the job was write up a contract for the gospel according to Jesus. And uh, that's how our relationship began. Well, out of all of the books that Dr. MacArthur has written, and I've read a good number of them, uh, one of the books that seems to be a good highlight to me is his book on worship, Worship the Ultimate Priority. And that book, I think, is just critically important regarding the importance and the priority of how a believer should worship God. And as I as I've read through that book even recently, I, I led a a group here within our church walking through that book all summer, and it was just a, it was a refreshing read for me. But uh, just give us some some important background as far as that book and that project, as far as grace to you and your involvement there. Yeah, it's interesting because it continues the story I left off on. I. I I said the first day on the job, the first thing I did was uh, write a contract for the gospel according to Jesus. But I also began to realize pretty quickly that John had become frustrated with Moody Press. He he had done a couple of books, one on the on the Beatitudes and one on the Lord's Prayer, and I, he wasn't happy with the way they were edited and produced by Moody. And I, I sort of began to sense that. And uh, so. After I'd been there maybe two or three months, he came to Chicago to speak at Moody's Founders Week, and he was doing a week-long series on worship. And I thought, you know, uh, th that would make a good book, but I also knew that with his level of frustration, I, I didn't want to just propose that to him directly. So I took a recording of uh, his first message of that series and surreptitiously edited it. 
uh, for print. And uh, later that year was the, the very large conference they had in San Diego for the uh, Council on Biblical Inerrancy. And I met him at that, arranged to meet him at that, and I handed him the chapter I'd edited. I didn't tell him I edited it. I just said, we had a different editor edit this. If you like this, uh, we'll get this editor to do it, and uh, we, we really would like to do this book on worship. And I remember that night at the uh, Inerrancy Conference, I handed it to him just before the meeting. The speaker that night was Ed, Edwin Meese, who was uh, Ronald Reagan's chief of staff or something, and John wasn't the least bit interested in Edwin Meese's political speech. And so he sat there and read that chapter. We were sitting in near the back row of that massive auditorium. And, and I didn't I really didn't want to be there when he read it, because what if he hated it? And uh, he finished it about the same time Ed Meese finished his lecture. And John looked up and said, yeah, this is really good. He said, did you do this? Like he figured out that I edited it. And uh, I said, yeah, he said, well, if you'll edit this book, I'll do it for Moody Press. So the, my sp all of my spare time for the next year was engaged in uh, editing that book. It was the first book I ever edited for John. And uh, I loved it. It was it, it's great material and um, a great subject. And um, and when when I finished it, he was reading it and he looked up from the manuscript and he said, you should just quit your job at Moody Press and come to work for me. And I said, okay. <laughs> and, and that's how I got here. I've been here now 37 years. Wow. That's, well, that's remarkable. We're glad you're here. Um, I know my wife and I have really enjoyed your friendship and just to see the astonishing work that, that you do at, at Grace to you. I, I have a question, Phil, about something that Pastor John wrote in that book worship yep. the ultimate priority and I want to see if you can you can explain it if you if you even remember it so he writes in the preface worship is an essential expression of service rendered unto God by a soul who loves and extols him for who he is real worship therefore should be the full-time non-stop activity of every believer and the aim of the exercise ought to be to please God not merely entertain the worshiper and then he writes this sentence in January of 1982, while preaching through John 4, I realized that I should be pursuing the stalking lion rather than vice versa. Do you remember what he means by pursuing the stalking yeah. lion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back to the beginning of that preface. I think at the start of the second paragraph there, he he he's comparing the subject of worship to a lion that he said had stalked him all the years of his ministry that mm. he felt like, uh, you know, looking over his shoulder or following closely on his heels the whole time was the subject of worship as he preached through scripture. When he got to John four, that's the, the woman at the well, uh, who asked Jesus a question about where should we worship? You know, is it on this mountain or at the temple? And that's when Jesus says the father seeks, uh, those who worship in spirit and in truth. And he said that that sort of opened his mind and heart to the subject of worship. And he realized that rather than having the subject stalk him, he ought to be stalking the subject. Yeah. So and and it's it's his ministry has has made a profound um impact throughout the world on the subject of worship. And to that subject, and and we mentioned it at the start, um, Phil, I know you see so much in the evangelical world, especially in the West, of 
of really um, pastors, you know, entertaining and and making the the worship service um, all about telling jokes or even we see some of the extreme extreme examples of of the indoor fireworks and the motorcycles jumping over chairs and all of this kind of thing and and the sunday morning gathered church has become sort of a hodgepodge of entertainment throughout the western world and there's there's actually a principle in the reformed community known as the regulative principle which is designed to uh, tell us how to worship can you just comment for those who may not know or may have a misunderstanding of, first of all, why don't we in the Reformed community worship however we want or in a way that will just bring people into the doors? And and why is that driven by this regulative principle? Yeah, because Scripture says, really, uh, that we're, we're forbidden to invent our own modes of worship. Calvin said, God disapproves of all modes of worship that are not expressly sanctioned by his word. And that principle really governed reformed worship uh, up through the Puritan era. Um, and, and I think the regulative principle has sort of gotten a bad name in in recent years because uh, the, the people who talk about it the most push it to such an extreme uh, that, you know, they say we should only sing psalms, no hymns, no modern music, uh, and we shouldn't use... Uh, musical instruments. And there are a lot of people who, in their minds, that's all it means. The regular principle simply means psalms only, no instruments, right? rather than the idea that, look, Scripture is what should govern how we worship. Um, and we might, we might agree or disagree on whether, I mean, Psalm 150, if you're singing psalms, uh, lays out an entire array of orchestra instruments with which we're supposed to praise God. So I I've never fully understood how you can say both that the Psalms ought to guide our worship and, and yet you can't have musical instruments. But and I know I know those who hold to the strictest application of the regulative principle uh, have all kinds of ways to explain that. But I, I think the the tendency to push that principle almost to a legalistic extreme has has uh, undermined the principle itself and so people just throw it out because they think that uh, you know it means i can never sing about christ uh because i'm only singing from the psalms um and um uh so uh the the regular principle in other words has has suffered i think both at the hands of its friends and its enemies right yeah it makes sense At this point, we want to take just a short break, and then we'll be right back with our guest, Phil Johnson. So we worship the God who is holy. We worship the God who is righteous. We worship the God who pours out His wrath. And at the same time, we bow ourselves in humble adoration because we deserve that wrath too. But He saves us in spite of that. The Church of Jesus is redeemed and called to worship God. Therefore, worship matters. This January, we will gather for a very important conference on worship in which we will address important questions like, is God concerned with how we worship Him? As we consider the different ways in which we worship God, from the public reading of Scripture, prayer, the preaching of God's Word, 
The singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is anything optional. Are we free to rearrange, reinvent, or repackage worship to accommodate cultural trends or the preferences of people? We must not overlook the privilege of worship. Not only does God receive our worship, but as a result, we are changed and transformed as we engage in the worship of our triune God. Look at this. You will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Do you see this? Well, I don't want any of that doctrine stuff. Well, then you, you have to go to hell. What we believe will determine our eternal destiny, the doctrine, the teaching that we hold to. Why do we study doctrine? Our life depends upon it. Join us this January as we will enjoy fellowship, spiritual growth, and the worship of God at the 2020 G3 Conference. For information and reservations, visit g3conference.com. Welcome back. Phil, as we think about the subject of worship, books matter. So what books have shaped you and helped you understand the centrality of worship in the life of a believer? Well, I have to start with John MacArthur's book, uh, Worship the Ultimate Priority. That that was a pivotal experience in my life, editing that book. It did change my whole perspective on worship. And by the way, you were asking about the uh, regulative principle. There's a section in that book where John deals with that. I think it's in the second chapter or so. Uh, and uh, he deals with it much more in depth and, and better than I did in my brief answer. But uh, the, it's worth reading the book just for that section alone. There's that and some other books that John himself pointed me to when I was working on that. He quoted extensively from a book whose title I think was Just Worship. Uh, by A.P. Gibbs, a uh, really insightful little book on worship. And then, yeah. uh, 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 you know, I read a lot of Puritan books, and the Puritans had a lot to say about worship that I think is, uh, it, it's very challenging to those of us who've grown up in this era of seeker-sensitive worship and and worship, as I said, that's designed really for the pleasure of the audience rather than the glory of God. So before we came on today, you were saying uh, that you're actually organizing your books in your library. So what books are you reading now, whether it be at home or at the office, as a means of your own spiritual development and progress? Uh, you know, I had never read um, more than one or two uh, years ago biographies of uh, George Whitfield. And I came across Thomas Kidd's new biography of Whitfield. I've been reading that, and it's prompted me to read several older bios of Whitfield and some of Whitfield's works. So right now I'm in a mode where I am just devouring George Whitfield. As mm. uh, you talk about worship and um, the the corporate gathering of the church, I, I want to know, as a, a new father, I have a little 14-month-old girl, and as a husband— um, the spiritual leader in the home. Um, how would you advise fathers who are seeking to engage their families in worship throughout the week, and not just relying on the the corporate worship of church? Um, how how would you 
encourage them to engage in that worship throughout the week um, as as seeking to be spiritual leaders to their to their wives, to their children, um, so as not to just kind of pawn that responsibility off to the to the pastor at church on a Sunday. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, the the one thing I wish people had sort of drummed into my head when I was a young father is everything Scripture says about the brevity of life. You you have a little baby in your arms and you think there's we're going to have a long time together, and it isn't that long. There's not that many weekends. You know, don't squander that time that you have because uh, it isn't as long as you think it's going to be on the front end. And uh, so make the most of the time. That would be my first bit of advice. And then second, uh, I would go to Deuteronomy 6, uh, which I think is the key instructions for all of parenting, uh, where it's the Shema, you know, where the Lord says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And, and then it says, The words that I've commanded you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And then it says, talk about them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you're lying down, when you rise up, bind them as a sign on your hand and on your forehead and all of that. Um, I, I think the ability to do that is way more important than and not to diminish family devotions. Uh, I think you sh- it's great to have a, a, a time of uh, a set time for family devotions where you sit as a family together and read the scriptures and pray. I, but I would say what's more important than that is, is uh, to, and on top of that, what you need to do is, is cultivate an atmosphere in your home where you are talking about these things all the time, where it's just natural that no matter what yeah. you're doing, uh, you find a, a connection between some great spiritual truth and use the opportunity to teach biblical truth to your children, not in a way that seems oppressive or, or pushy, but just interest them in the things of God, because there's nothing more interesting, right? And if you can't convince your kids that it's interesting, you're going to have a problem with them when they get older. Right. If, if, if they don't see you being captivated by these truths and, and interested in the worship of God and it consuming you, what, they're, they're going to they're gonna really follow what you do uh, right. as much as what you say. Isn't that true? That's right. So... Yeah, that's good. I, I think of little Felicity as she's just 14 months old and um, you say time flies. She just started walking and it's like, man, yeah. this, is, this is already happening. She's already off and going. Yeah. Yeah. My eldest grandchildren now uh, are having their 10th birthday. I have two of them that are turning 10 right now. And, and uh, I realized that like two thirds of their lives before they start driving are gone. Yeah. Two thirds yeah. of the time you know, and they're not little, little children anymore. Wow. So. Phil, I want to go back to the book just for a moment, because in the book on worship, Dr. MacArthur, he observes the following. He says this, he says, um, he talks about expository preaching and the systematic teaching of the word of God. And he talks about that, that that is extremely important. This is what he says. He says, some preachers seem to specialize in sermons that are, uh, only marginally biblical, but move the congregation and make them laugh and cry with clever stories and anecdotes. And then he says, they might be interesting, fun, entertaining, exciting, and impressive sermons. They might elicit all manner of emotions and excitement, but such preaching does not help people genuinely worship God. 
as we think about Dr. MacArthur just uh, celebrated his 50th anniversary as pastor of Grace Community Church, it would seem that this principle, this firm commitment to the week-by-week exposition of God's Word is really what has helped him lead the people to worship God in both depth and substance. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's no question about that. And remember that he wrote that. He he, he actually preached that in a sermon uh, in the early 1980s, you know, more than 35 years ago. Uh, and he's he's held to that all these years. And in the interim, we've had young guys born and, and reach adulthood and actually go into the ministry. And up to even a decade ago, we had a, a, a sort of parade of young pastors uh, explaining to younger pastors that how they learned to preach was by watching Chris Rock, you know, or, or uh, following the the mannerisms and delivery of some comedian. And that's how you really want to preach. And y- you can still see that today, that uh, there are lots of preachers who are more concerned to be showmen than they are expositors. And that is that is deadly to the worship of the church. Uh, very good point. Yeah, man, we're feeling we're feeling the influence of that, aren't we? In, in the evangelical church, it's sad to see, as we look around, some of what um, these various churches are doing in in the name of worship. And yeah, so, in fact, yeah, go in ahead. Fact, you you uh, one of the other great deficiencies today is when you use the word worship. Yeah, most people think you're talking about the corporate singing right. or the music. Right. You know, it's just the music. The preaching is something different. One of the points John MacArthur makes in his book on worship is that what's at the heart of true worship is the truth of God's word. The Lord's looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the preaching part of your church service is just as much, right. even more so really worship than, than the, uh, you know, what, what the, the leaders, the worship team, the music team is doing. That's not any more worship than the preaching. And in fact, the preaching is more vital to true worship than a few songs might be. Oh, yeah. And as we were talking to Dr. Lawson uh, just the other week about that exact thing, how the preacher is the ultimate uh, worship leader, and the climax of the worship service is the preaching of the Word, because it, it fuels everything else. Right. Um, he, I think Dr. Lawson and I share the uh, uh, our contempt for the just the title worship leader. I do not like that title. Yeah. yeah. Well, so <laughs> I mean, you and I know there's so much to discourage us today, but I want to know, Phil, what do you find in modern evangelicalism um, that encourages you? That what do you see? And as it specifically even regards uh, regarding worship, what do you what are you being encouraged by in our day and age? A lot. I should say that because uh, a lot of people, I think, think of me as a a, a perpetual critic because I d- probably do t- tend to say more about the things that concern me than the things that uh, encourage me. But I became a Christian in the 1970s and immediately began to look for a church in my neighborhood where the Word of God was preached and b- clearly believed by the preacher. And it was a it was a hard search. There weren't many. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was uh, the headquarters of uh, the charismatic movement at the time. Oral Roberts University is there. Kenneth Hagin had his headquarters there. It was a big charismatic area. 
And people used to ask me, what church in Tulsa do you recommend? And I couldn't think of one for years. There just weren't any I could recommend. Yeah. Now, if you ask me that, I, there are probably seven or eight churches in the Tulsa area that, that I think are growing and healthy and vibrant. Wow. And as I look around, I think that's, that's pretty much true across our nation. There are, there are a lot more uh, expositors out there than there were 40 years ago. And that's a good trend. Uh, mm. I wish that were the dominant trend in, in the evangelical movement, and it's not, but I, I think it does bode well for the future. Yeah. So, so even as we've seen an increase in, in some of the uh, negative, um, there has been an increase in, in a commitment to, to God's word and to preaching that week yeah, in, week right. out. I think that's largely due to a lot of the work of, of men like yourself, Phil, and, uh, and Pastor John, who are propagating uh, such a commitment to the word of God through the writing, through the preaching. Uh, so thank you for that. It's, it's encouraging to watch that um, unfold throughout the years. Yeah, thank you. I can't really take any credit for it, but uh, I, I do think that is going to be the chief legacy of John MacArthur, the fact that he's influenced so many younger men uh, to, to become expositors rather than entertainers. Yeah, amen. Phil, thank you for joining us for this podcast today. Tell those who might be listening to this podcast how they can find out more information about John MacArthur's ministry and the resources of grace to you. GTY.org. That's our website, GTY.org. There you will find 3,500 recorded sermons that you can download and listen to for free. Most of them have also the transcript right along with it. So if you're a reader and or both, you can. It, we actually have our website set so that in most of the sermons, uh, it, it automatically follows in the transcript what you're listening to if you want to sit there and look at your computer screen. Um, so uh, and then tons of there are tons of other resources there, difficult biblical questions that we've hundreds and hundreds of them that we've uh, put answers to and uh, all sorts of books and resources that we recommend. Um, so gty.org, you'll find links from there to pretty much everything else that uh, that we would recommend. Fantastic. Well, if you're listening to this podcast today, we want to invite you to join us this January to the G3 conference. As we're going to be talking about the subject of worship, we're going to spend an entire weekend. You're going to be able to sit under the ministry of men like Phil Johnson. It's one thing to tune in to a conference through a live stream, but it's quite a different thing to come and join us in person. So we hope to see you. You can find out more information and register at g3conference.com. Mm-hmm.